I talked to over a thousand people around the country and they were from every every background, every state except for Hawaii and Alaska and uh, you know, every demographic identity and every single one of them had something interesting to tell, you know, and that's anybody you could pass by on your street, your neighborhood, wherever you live, you know, at the grocery store. That's there. You never know when you're going to connect with somebody over something that you either needed or you wouldn't have expected out of them, you know. Hey everyone, welcome back to Oh My Curry Goodness. My name is Hamza Islam, and on this podcast, I talk to Gen Zers from different fields about their story and how they became the person they are today. One of the cool things about Gen Zers is that they love to inspire people. And while it's great to talk about the great, the amazing things that they've accomplished, it's also important to talk about the things that they've learned, the obstacles that they've overcome. Because no matter what we do in life, we are gonna have obstacles along our path. And even though our obstacles will be different, it's about having that mentality to keep going and embracing all the difficulties throughout the journey to do something special. And that's what I love about this podcast is not only getting to talk to some of the most incredible people of the Gen Z generation, but also to know more about them as a human being and understanding that not everything was all rainbows for lack of a better term. So I hope you continue to support this podcast continue to be inspired by all these amazing people and just know that it's also okay to talk about yourself in an honest and authentic way. Now, this week is going to be a very interesting week because I'm talking to Imran Nouri, who is an artist, philanthropist, and storyteller. In 2019, Imran founded the 52 Million Project, a nonprofit that believes in power of collective action for common good. Donors gave no more than $52 each year to support 52 nonprofits who are fighting poverty. Now, he is the author of Advice from America, where he documents his journey traveling to 48 U.S. states in 12 weeks to ask 1,000 strangers for life advice and photo- photographing them on a 50-year-old camera. You can pre-order his book on his website at imranuri.com, and this book will be released in December of 2023. Imran, of all the guests I've interviewed on this podcast, he's someone I've actually known for almost since childhood, so it's really cool to be able to connect with him um, and just get to know more about him and what's been going on throughout his journey. So Imran Nouri, thank you so much for joining Oh My Curry, oh My Curry Goodness. It's great to reconnect. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on here. I'm excited to tell you more about my journey and my story. Yeah. And the, here, the, that's the crazy thing. Like when I first, when I, I knew who you were because um, we grew up in the same South Asian community and you know this better than anyone else like south asian parents like in our community they love talking about their kids and so i remember growing up um I, I think you had some i think you had interest in oil painting or painting in general and i remember like i would hear parents talking about how great you were as an artist and then now that i see like the, the journey that you took traveling to 48 states i was like i gotta get you on this podcast and when i I obviously knew who you were, but one of the things that stuck out was when I saw that you were on an interview, you had an interview with CNN. And that at that point, I looked at my mom and I'm like, wait, is that the same one that I knew? Like, is there another Imran Nouri that I'm not aware of? And she's like, no, that's that's the one. That's the same Imran Nouri that we all, that we all grew up with. And the reason why I wanna talk about that is I think for so many people, the journey that you took traveling to different parts of the country is amazing. 
but sometimes we don't know if what we're doing is impactful or insightful or beneficial unless we some unless we get external validation and i've talked about this in previous episodes but i still think it's an issue today where we don't know if we're doing good unless other people are telling us that we're doing good obviously we'll talk about your journey but i do want to ask you when you were interviewed on cnn did or let me put it this way do you did you ever feel like you were doing something beneficial and you never necessarily looked at getting validation from others like you knew what you were doing and you didn't need others to tell you that what you were doing was good you know it wasn't my intention when i went on this journey to mission or eyes on what i was doing it was more like i knew i wanted to go on this journey to figure something out for myself and in the process if people if i decide that it will be beneficial for people to learn from great i'll share it with the world and if not maybe i'll just keep it to myself you know when i started the journey i knew that i would turn it into a book but initially the thought was i'll just make 25 copies and i'll get it'll be super limited edition i'll just give it to a handful of the people who supported the journey when i actually went on it and some other folks you know here and there but it'll just be a small thing and then i'll share the rest on social media for people to learn from so you know, it wasn't, I knew I wanted to do this just for me. It wasn't necessarily about external validation. And, um, you know, if that's what it was in the first place, I don't think the project would have turned out the way it did. You know, I didn't do it for TikTok. I didn't do it for content. I did it because I wanted to learn something and experience something. And so in doing that, the the entire series of, of photos and advice from strangers, uh, it comes across as more authentic. For sure. And I think what makes it really special is the fact that you're not just seeing and it's funny because I say this a lot on my on this podcast. It's like you're not going to talk to them for who they are. You're talking to people for what they are, right? They're human beings just like you and I. And it's it's funny. Like when I've been thinking about what I would love to do with this podcast. And when you when you're around people that really know the work that you do, they don't ever care about like they like the the external success. They care more about the internal success. And I've been thinking lately. Like I've been so inspired by learning so much about so much from different people i would love to that i would love to have a book of my own i don't know exactly the title of the book um i've never been i've never i've never published a book so i definitely want to do that in the future but yeah we'll see what happens and we'll see what happens um one of the things that really stuck out to me though was meeting people meeting people you've never met is definitely a skill that people need to do because it is not it's not easy and when I, I remember, and again, maybe this is just because when I grew up, I saw, because I think you may be six or seven years older than me. I'm not 100% sure um, because I'm 21 just to give context. But like when I first saw you, I used to think that you were like this respected person. You were smart and obviously you are. But one thing that I didn't know was that you were a shy kid growing up. And now you, you're, take, you're doing this journey where you're meeting people from all over the country, meeting people you've never met and you're able to just to be you. And so I guess I do want to ask because sometimes I guess the definition of shyness changes for, for a lot of people, because I don't think, I think you can still be outgoing, but also be shy at the same time. Like if, like if I'm meeting someone new, I'm definitely very, very hesitant, but if it's someone I know, then it's like, I can talk to this person for hours. So firstly, what did shyness look like to you growing up? And then secondly, are you also impressed by the fact that you're used to be this person who was 
I guess, shy. And now you're someone who's able to strike a conversation with almost anybody. Obviously, there might be some people you'd be, you could be nervous about, but for the most part, you're still able to meet people without any sort of fear. Yeah, so so I think uh, one one of the big things for me where uh, where the shyness, what it looked like and what it looks like now, the shyness for me before wasn't that I couldn't go in front of a room or an audience and uh, deliver a speech. You know, I had spoken to crowds of up to ten thousand people at a time with no. It didn't even phase me. It didn't make me nervous at all. But when it came to uh, just day to day and wanting to talk to somebody who I saw on the street or somebody who I saw in a grocery store who I thought was interesting for any any what any reason. Uh, you know, I'd freeze up. I'd get in my head and say, oh, man, I, you know, I'd love to tell this person this thing or compliment them or whatever. And I just wouldn't. And so a big reason why I did the trip at all was not just to like find this meaning of life and figure out what it means to make the most of life. It was also to get over that shyness in the most extreme way possible, you know, to push myself out of my comfort zone and and just talk to strangers. And, and you know, that, that's combating like the first thing you learn as a kid, stranger danger, you know, you're, you're, for me, it was combating like a truly deeply rooted, probably hardwired thing. You know, everything you learn from zero to five is basically permanent. Um, and so to, to, to get over that is to really have to fight it. And I did. And, and it got easier and easier and easier the more I talked to people. Because, you know, when you're someone like you or me, you know how to talk to somebody. That's not the issue. The issue is getting over that uh, initial hesitation or fear of talking to somebody new. You know, after that, after you can get over that, it's easy. For sure. And it's it's funny because I used to work at Home Depot and obviously as as, as some, if you whenever you work at a retail store, your purpose is to help someone. But usually if people saw me and they needed my help, I would do as as I would do anything I could to leave the space. And it's not that I don't want to help help them. It's just more of I don't I'm just hesitant to reach out resident to help you because there's just that fear but what is interesting though and i think it's it's one of those things where whatever you do it takes practice it takes time it's not something you uh can fix in a day um it's but definitely still show up and try as hard as you can or try as the try as try to try to do the best that you can and what's also interesting is that while i also do podcasts i also do door-to-door painting um for a company and just being able to go to each house and go to different and meet different strangers and ask if they're interested in getting a painting or a free estimate like that is nerve-wracking because i've never met these people and very good chance i'm never going to meet them in the future but nevertheless just still having that just idea just the idea of showing up is still important and i do want to ask and i know this is I mean, I've, I've said this a lot, like a lot of the things when it comes to inspiration are cliche, but it's still, I still want to know from your perspective, like, what do you, what are some of the most important things you've learned about human connection and conversations? Because, you know, as someone like, like we, we talked about how we were nervous meeting people, but then sometimes we don't realize that the, like the overall benefit or the potential benefit. So I would love to know, like, what are some things you learn when it comes to i guess i guess what are some things that you find interesting when it comes to those human connections or those conversations yeah i think oh so, so i think like what like it's exactly what you just touched on you know it, it's so beneficial to connect connect with somebody no matter whether you know whether you're going to see them again or not 
whether they live in your neighborhood or not, whether they, it doesn't matter. It's nice to like have a conversation with somebody just because you're human, right? And so there's value in, in connecting with the people around us in that way is I think the takeaway for me, at least. You know, I talked to over a thousand people around the country and they were from every every background, every state except for Hawaii and Alaska and, uh, you know, every demographic identity. And every single one of them had something interesting to tell, you know, and that's anybody you could pass by on your street, on your neighborhood, wherever you live, you know, at the grocery store. That's there. You never know when you're going to connect with somebody over something that you either needed or you wouldn't have expected out of them, you know. For sure. I do want to talk about your journey of traveling to 48 states, but one of the things I want to talk about is you describe yourself as a fine art photographer. And one of the cool things about art is that it's one of the most underrated things in today's world, just because you don't understand the meaning behind it. Cause a lot of people just see something as what it is without understanding the deeper meaning. And I just want, I want to ask you, like, what are some of the things you learn about art that you feel like has stuck with you today? Because, you know, and I'm like, you, like I said, there are many things that art is not just like an image, there's something more to it. And I think that there are certain life skills you can learn from being an artist, or being someone who's involved in art. So I'd love to know from you personally, what are some of the things you learned about being an artist that you feel like has helped you into the person you are today? Sure. Yeah. One of the best things about being an artist or creating art is that you get to explore the deepest, most vulnerable, most unknown feelings and ideas and turn them into usually something visual that somebody can see and experience as well. And so the nice part about that is, like you said, it's purely subjective, right? Somebody somebody uh, standing next to the same person at the same time looking at the same work of art might see, see something completely different or have a completely different emotional reaction to it. Uh, then the next one and the next one, and the next one. And so what I like about that, at least for me, is that I get to take these broad concepts and ideas and explore them visually. And so, you know, I've, I've been working on a photo series for a long time about grief and loss and uh, how that manifests itself in many ways outside of losing a human being. You know, that's that's been really interesting because it forces me to explore feelings that I don't want to explore, you know what I mean? Feelings that are very uncomfortable. And it forces me to figure out how to depict that in a way that feels right to the way I felt in the moment, you know, things like that. The same thing is true of this series of asking a thousand strangers for life advice. Really the core idea is what is the meaning of life? What does it mean to make the most of life? And that is highly subjective, right? That's different from person to person to person. And, and people who read all a thousand pieces of life advice from the strangers I met might come to a different conclusion than the next person. You know, my conclusion really is that the meaning of life or the purpose of it is not necessarily to be happy all the time, but to experience every piece of it fully. There's always going to be good things in life. There's always going to be bad things in life. And there's going to be a whole lot of the in-between. And, you know, to make the most of life, no matter how many years you get, you have to experience it all fully. You have to appreciate every single moment, whether it's good, bad, or in-between. And so I, I think that's the fun of art. The fun of art is that, um, again, you get to explore big, big, big ideas that you wouldn't otherwise get to explore, right? Nobody in corporate America would have told me to go ask a thousand strangers for life advice to discover the meaning of life. That's something that I did because I was an artist. You know, it's, it's like that. It's just, I, I really enjoy that aspect of discovering, you know, these deep aspects of life just by asking questions and creating, just creating. Yeah. And maybe you, wanna, you might want to touch on touch on this because it was interesting is I had a friend of mine who I interviewed and he said that 
when you're an artist, you, you don't have to, you don't have like a specific rubric that you have to follow. And what he mean, what he meant by that was like, oftentimes, like, especially in school, when you're told to write something or you're told to draw something, it's like, you need to do this, this way to get full, to get like, to get a hundred percent. But I think when you get to focus on art for yourself, you have this idea. It's like, you don't have to follow someone's expectations. You just have your own personal expectations. And sure, there might be some growing pains along the way, but nevertheless, like when you don't, when you don't have to do things for other people and you're doing things for yourself, that's what, how you can truly embrace that level of authenticity, especially in art. So, um, yeah, like, I don't know if that's something you ever, like, I don't know. Is that like, is that something you think of? Like, you don't have to follow, like, you don't, you don't ever have someone else's expectations. You have your own expectations. And I know that can be a challenge because I think for a lot of us, we love to be critical of ourselves, but nevertheless, like, I guess you're free in the sense that you don't have to do things for other people. You're doing this because you find interest in it. Yeah. I think about that all the time. I think about how you can be an artist who sells their work in galleries or at art shows or festivals or wherever it might be. And that's how you make your living. But what that ends up doing to you is that you have to create work that you know is going to sell. And that takes away from the authenticity of the ideas or the creation. And that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with artists who create work that's designed to sell but there's a certain freedom that comes with having a day job that pays your bills and everything else, which frees you up and gives you the time to have your evenings and weekends and days off to create whatever you want, regardless of whether people are going to like it or not. And I thought about the same thing for this whole thing. I photographed people on a 50 year old camera that actually takes beautiful photos. Uh, but I wasn't worried about like perfect composition or perfect lighting or even getting like some of the photo photos aren't even in focus. They're slightly out of focus. And so it doesn't matter, right? Because what, what matters is that you can tell it's a human being, you can tell what they're wearing, you can tell what's in their background, That's and then you can hear what they said. And I can do that because I don't have to worry about, I didn't have to worry about making money for this series, right? I was willing to lose and spend a certain amount of money to make it happen with no expectation of ever recuperating it. And that allowed me to create something that, like you said, has no expectations of others. I'm, I'm not aiming for a 100% in anything because it's highly subjective. And so... There, yeah, there's a freedom in having the uh, you know source of income that's not art, so that when you're an artist, you can create things that you want to create. I want to transition into the philanthropy side of you because I know that, and you might need to correct me on this. I know you're no longer a part of um, the 52 million project, but what I do want to ask is, what are some of the connections you found between being an artist and being a philanthropist? Because I think when experiences or when it comes to, I mean, there's so many things you can learn from two things, even, no matter how opposite they are on the spectrum. So for example, I had someone who uh, focuses on giving back to the homeless or helping the, helping people who are dealing with homelessness. But for a period of time, he also does modeling. And so I asked him some of the connections he had. So I wanna know from your perspective as a philanthropist and an artist, what are some of the connections you found, even though on the outside, it seems like they're kind of, they may not have a lot of similarities. Yeah, I think so. so. So that was interesting because I had created that nonprofit from nothing. And so it was really like a journey to build a business that happened to be in the nonprofit model. And when you're doing that and when you're an artist, some of the similarities there just from a logistics standpoint is that nobody's telling you what to do. There's no, there's no one path. You just have to figure things out for yourself day after day after day after day. But beyond that, on a more like soft note is really that 
you know, when you're a nonprofit, usually, and, and in our case, we were helping people who are in, uh, who are experiencing poverty. The similarities really go down to a love for humanity, right? A love for the people around us, a love for people who we might never, ever meet. You know, our, when I ran the 52 million project every single week, we would make a donation to a different nonprofit and those nonprofits were all over the country. You know, I never, I will never, ever meet the people that we helped. Neither will the donors of the 52 million project. You just have to be okay with giving something that you earned money and giving it to someone who you'll never, you'll never know. You'll never meet. You'll never even fully know the impact in theory. You'll know that sure. It may have fed them this many meals, may have housed them for this many nights, this or that. But at the end of the day, you're helping somebody you don't know. You'll never know. And, and there's something interesting about that. Uh, and, and how it relates to art, because sometimes art is the same way. You create something for yourself, usually. And if it helps somebody else or it gives somebody else an emotional you know, reaction or response, then that's amazing. And it might that your artwork might last 100 years. It might last hundreds of years. It might only last a few years, you know, and then it gets thrown away or destroyed or something, you know. But regardless, it's really about helping others who you'll never meet, you'll never know, you'll never know their full journey or story, you'll just help them. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting how art can just make an impact on people because, again, I mean, creating a nonprofit organization, people can easily see that and go, oh, yeah, I can see that you're helping people. But that sometimes you don't realize when it comes to taking a specific photo or you know creating something out of nothing, especially when it comes to art, you don't realize the actual potential that it has and how it could, it, it does have a meaning and that it can use, it can be used to inspire someone or make someone feel a certain way. And I think that's a great, and those are some great ways of helping people. I know, like I said, you're no longer a part of the project, but do you see yourself ever going back into the philanthropy space? I know this past year you were traveling all around the country and you obviously have a book coming out, but is, is, do you ever want to hopefully revisit philanthropy at some point or are you kind of just moving on, I guess, in some sense? Yeah, I will definitely make, you know, nonprofits and philanthropy a part of what I do in the future. I still do actually to this day, you know, philanthropy looks like a lot of different things. A lot of people think philanthropy is just money. But in reality, philanthropy is your time, talent or treasure. And treasure is that money aspect. But I still give my time to different like organizations. I still give my talents when I can, usually now to students, you know, even for this, for example, you know, to be on your podcast is a chance for me to give to a student who is part of the same alma mater that I was part of. And I'm giving you an hour of my time. And that's, that's, you know, that's something that I wouldn't just do for everybody. And so philanthropy looks like a lot of different things. And when I have more money, it'll be back to, you know, giving treasure, uh, but for now, what I have is the ability to dictate my time and the ability to choose who I give my skills and talents to. And I choose that very carefully, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's always it's, it's a core part of who I am. There's no there's no getting rid of it. It's something my parents taught me from, you know, like I said, from zero to five is, is when things become permanent. And that's something I was taught from zero to five is that you give to others who, who need your help. You know, that's how you use privilege. When you have privilege, you use it to uplift others who don't have it. Um, and so there's, there's a million different ways to do that. And it's always going to be something that's part of what I'm doing. Yeah. And everything you just said, it's, it sort of reminds me of that, the word value, right? Because I used to think for a long time that when, when, when someone was a philanthropist, it just meant they were just giving money away, but it also, it can also just mean like what you do to inspire others. What, you know, how do you provide value? How do you make someone's day 1% better? And I think and it's funny because I've talked about this in previous 
uh, conversations. And I, I know I've be, I keep talking about previous, but I feel like everything you just say reminds me of so much of what I've had in the past where everyone can be an entrepreneur because, you know, entrepreneurs are essentially solving problems. It, yes, it's true. Money is one thing, but being an entrepreneur means, you know, you find a problem and how do you solve that problem? So I feel like in the same way, you know, philanthropy is similar in that it doesn't always have to mean giving money away or giving money to a specific cause. It could also mean just figuring out how to make someone's day better. And I think that's, that's really, I think that's really interesting to put it. I don't know why, like sometimes I feel stupid because I'm just thinking it's like money, 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 but now it's like money can mean what money can mean something, but also there are other ways to give back. And I don't know, some people always say like definitions are changing for some reason, but I, sometimes I feel like being an entrepreneur and being a philanthropist, it's not, it's not like you don't need to necessarily have money. It's just like what you're doing to make someone's day better or some like issue that you hopefully want to solve in the future. I don't know if that made sense, but those are some of the things that I usually think about when I see the term philanthropy now and also being an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's spot on. I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, I want to now talk about the advice from advice from America. And, you know, one thing I always try to do on this podcast and yes, yes, it's a growing pain. It's a growing, it's a process, but I do love asking difficult questions. I want to be able to have my guests to be able to, I want my guests to be able to really think about their journey or think about the questions. And here's the thing. You ask a very unique question, which is what do you know now? You asked a thousand strangers, what do you know now that you wish you knew earlier? And that's such a difficult question to ask, or it's a difficult question to a difficult, uh, it's, it's difficult to find an answer for because you just don't know. And it's not as simple as it seems. When you were at, throughout, going throughout this journey, what made you come up with this question? And was it a question that you always knew you wanted to ask? Or was it a situation where you're like, should I ask this question? Should I ask this question? Then ultimately, you know, the question of what do you know now that you didn't know then? Like, was it one of those things where it, like, it took a while before you found the right question? Or was that the question you always wanted to ask? Yeah, well, I tested this this series on a much smaller scale here in Chicago before actually going all in on going around the entire country and asking, you know, strangers something. Uh, and the questions I asked people in Chicago when I was testing it were around, um, you know, I, I asked people, what would you do or how would your life change if you knew you were going to die in a year? Uh, I asked people what their biggest regrets were. I asked them, you know, this and that. And what I ended up finding out was that the question that worked the best was that question. What do you know now that you wish you had known earlier? Or what's something you had to learn the hard way? Or what do you wish you could tell a younger version of yourself? And, you know, it's, it's funny because the answers that come out of that aren't necessarily advice because they're not telling me advice. I didn't want them to give me as the 24-year-old last year, you know, advice. I, I wanted them to give it to themselves so that they could share their story and their experiences and if somebody reads or hears their story and resonates with that, that's way better than having someone tell you what to do, right? Traditional advice is not actually that helpful. You know, nobody wants to be told what to do like that. So uh, that was the question I landed on because it was so open-ended. People could talk about uh, really deep and uh, emotional things, or they could talk about really uh, surface level practical things. You know, I had people talking about trauma and I also had people talking about just saving more money and I had everything in between. And so it was so open-ended and it, it was so open even to interpretation by the strangers I met that it was perfect. I got a, a huge variety of answers. 
Um, and I felt like that was the best way to get, you know, life advice. Yeah, it, it is such an interesting question. And here's the thing. I know a lot of people are, and you know, you've asked this, which is, you know, what advice would you give to your younger self? Is there a part of you that wishes you could ever meet with your younger self? Like, is there ever a point where you like, you wish you could spend time with that younger version of you? And, and I don't know, I'll give you an example. Like sometimes like I usually, like my parents will always say like, when they were little, when I was little, like I was such a energetic kid, people like, like I used to watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse every single day. And I don't know why, like, I would love to be able to not only just talk to my younger self, but I also want to be able to maybe one day spend some like, hypothetically, I would love to be able to spend time with my younger self. And I think of like the difference between talking with someone and spending time is just, I find that spending time, it just, it requires more time because talking can be done in a relatively short term, but spending time is more of like a long-term thing. So I don't know if that made sense. Maybe I'm just being crazy, but I do want to ask you, like, do you ever, is there a part of you that would hope, like, is there a part of you that wonders if you could ever spend time with your younger self, like actually having like, like spending more time rather than just saying one or two things? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think it's interesting. I go back and forth between this. I go back and forth between wanting to spend time with a younger version of myself and being able to coach him and tell him what's going on and, you know, just point him in the right direction. At the same time, I fully understand that there's no changing the past and that everything I've done in the past, every single tiny action has led me to the moment right now. And there's even a stranger, I think it was stranger number 668 in my series, who perfectly called this out. He goes, if you subscribe to the idea that you could change something, then you're also subscribing to the idea that at some point you've gone astray, right? At some point you've made the wrong decision and now you're on the wrong path. But in reality, everything, uh, you know, unfolds as you move through it. So, you know, uh, sure, I'd love to spend time with my younger version, you know, younger version of myself. But I, if I did, I would want to also know that it wouldn't change anything about my future, you know, and in that way, I think that, uh, and this is getting a little bit like derivative of like reality, but uh, in that way, you can meditate and talk to your younger self as you are right now. It might not change anything about your past, but it could be a healthy experience to sit and think about and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself just to say whatever you need to say, like, hey, you're going to go through this. It's going to be fine. You're going to get through it. You've gone through this, this X, Y, Z has happened. You're here right now. You know, you're alive and well, and everything's going to be fine. If that's what I need to do, you can, you know, that's, that I think for me is better than actually, you know, potentially time traveling and spending time with a younger version of myself, which would inevitably change the direction of my life. You know, if I go back a few years ago and say to my younger self, Hey, you're going to go on, on this adventure around the country where you're going to talk to strangers and ask them for life advice. I'd be willing to bet it would, that me telling my younger version, uh, that me telling a younger version of myself that might prevent that from happening at all. And so, yeah, I go back and forth. Sure, in theory, it'd be nice to talk to my younger, my younger self, but at the same time, I can't. And so that's also part of the beauty of that preposterous question I ask people, right? It's absurd. It's an absurd question because no matter how much you want to change your past or tell yourself something, you can't. And so it's fun to think about, but at the same time, it's like, it's all in theory, right? Right. It's kind of, it's like, it just, I don't know why, for some reason, it just reminds me of Back to the Future. Great movie, but I don't know, it just yeah. gives me those connections. Um, when I, when I was looking at your story, there were so many moments where, again, I mean, when we, how we grew up, 
people would normally want us to take the safe route. And that's, it's understandable because you'll, you'll always hear that story of we work so hard to provide you a better life. And you, you, no matter who you are, you, you do have to respect that because life is not easy. And I'm sure you know that better than anyone else because of the people that you meet. But just to give like some numbers, 84 days, you're, you're, you did this for 84 days, use a 50 year old camera, drove all around the country and to be more specific, around 15,298 miles. Um, that's insane. Let's just put it that way. But tell me a bit about, you know, I, you are someone that's a very positive minded person. You're someone who likes to be outgoing. Um, you like, you mentioned how, when you meet people, you'd smile, you have this friendly version of you and that's usually on the outside, but in the, on the inside, when you're taking such a, a big journey, how often did you feel like giving up? Because, and you can, I know I only mentioned like some bits and you can feel free to talk more about what that journey was like, but sometimes it's like, because of how insane or amazing that the idea can be, sometimes we just don't know for some reason if we're doing the right thing, or maybe we feel like we're, we're wasting enough money or, or sorry, we're wasting money, we're wasting time. Did you ever feel like you were giving up or were you always willing to embrace the challenges because kind of like you said you don't have to necessarily be happy but you can definitely embrace all the highs and the lows right yeah exactly i was 100 percent all in when i left for that trip when i left columbus ohio and knew that i was going to be on the road for up to 100 days i knew that failure was not an option and i think that giving up is almost always a choice almost always like sometimes life makes it so that basically your only option is to give up. For example, if I had totaled my car on the trip, it would be almost impossible to continue the journey. However, there's always a way to, to get around you know, obstacles that are trying to force you to give up. If that had happened, maybe I would have rented a car for the rest of the time. Maybe I would have started leasing a car for the rest of the time, even though it's probably not a, a good financial decision to do that. You know, something like that. There's almost always an, uh, the choice to give up. Sometimes it's for the best, sometimes it's not. And for me, you know, anytime that I had a challenge or an obstacle, a roadblock, whatever it might have been, I reminded myself that failure was not an option, that this was just part of the journey, that not everything is going to be fun and, and exciting, that sometimes it's going to be scary or, uh, you know, unhealthy or whatever, you know, it might just be bad, you know, at times. That's, that's part of the process. That's part of life itself. Things are going to be good. They're going to be bad. They're going to be in between. And so, you know, I think there was never a point, there was never a point on the entire trip where I was like, oh, I just want to, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. There were definitely times where I, that were harder than others. There were times where I was like, I feel like I've gotten everything that I wanted to get out of this trip, but I still have a few weeks left to go, you know. But at the same time, I was like, I committed to doing this. I quit my full-time job to do it. I am here. I'm thousands of miles away from home and I'm going to do it. I'm going to, and, 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 you know, the way you, Somebody once, I think somebody, one of the strangers even said, the way you finish is the way it was. And so I knew I wasn't going to finish weak or give up early or cut it short or whatever it might have been. I, I had an idea. I set out to do it. I was going to do it. Failure wasn't an option. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's like failure is something like, I think sometimes we tend to underestimate like, what failure can mean because like we think failure is a bad thing but it's like for you it almost feels like everything is a as a it's it's a chance to grow and and learn and um 
I love how you were so dedicated to the thing. It's like almost like you found your why and why you did it was like it almost protected it protected you from I guess outside forces. And I know that's such a cliche Star Wars like thing, but it's like you get what I'm trying to say. Like sometimes like when we don't like sometimes when we feel like giving up, it's like why we're so passionate about it in the first place protects us from protects us from any sort of like obstacle that we may have. But speaking a little bit about I don't want to say giving up, but I do want to ask you, we you talked a little bit about how your relationship with shyness. I want to ask you what what were some of the other fears you had throughout your journey? Because I mean, shyness of course is one thing, but was there anything else? Like I'll ask you, I'll I'll give you an example. Like I went to Nevada this like a few years ago. And one of my fears was just, and I know this is completely random, but just to give you a small example, like my fear was, I don't want to go to Nevada because like scorpions and spiders and as someone who has huge arachnophobia, like, I don't want to, I don't want to like, I don't want to go near that. So I know that's still like a bad example because I know not everything about Nevada is deserts and spiders and scorpions, but what were some of the fears that you had and how were you able to overcome them? Yeah, I think personal safety was was by far my biggest fear just because I was living in my car, sleeping at rest areas, talking to strangers. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't carry a gun with me or anything like that. I did have pepper spray at times, but even then I didn't I didn't carry it around with me. It was just in the car for when I was, you know, sleeping overnight uh alone. And so so personal safety was probably the the biggest fear factor there. I, I just I didn't want to get mugged, I didn't want someone to steal my stuff, I didn't want to um, get into a car accident, none of that. And, and then, and then of course, you know, you factor in the fact that I'm also a, a person of color going into rural America at times or, or areas that are completely unknown. And I was afraid that maybe I'd be a victim of a hate crime too, you know, of racism. And what I found was that overwhelmingly people were very kind to me. Now I mostly chose cities, right? Even in, even in the deep South, I was mostly in cities, but there were many, many, many times that I was in uh, towns of less than 10,000 people that were probably 95% white. And, and in those towns, you know, sometimes I felt uncomfortable. Other times I was like, yeah, I'm an outlier. I know that, but everybody around here seems pretty nice anyway. Um, you know, that's not to say that, that the experience would have been say, the same for me if I was any other, you know, demographic, maybe it would be different if I was a woman, maybe it'd be different if I was East Asian, maybe it'd be different if I was black. I have no way of knowing for sure, but for me, I, I really did like, I, I was very surprised by how kind people were to me. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely a fear factor. I thought about that all the time. I was like, am I going to be harmed by somebody just for the way I look uh, or just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time? And I got, maybe I got lucky, but maybe humanity is a little bit better than we think it is. And actually that's, that's it's really interesting. Cause I remember you said on previous interviews when you would go to the South is that they weren't necessarily frightened by you, but they were more curious about you in a positive way. They're like, oh, here's someone who I've never met. I've never met this kind of person. I would love to know more about who this person is and what this person is doing in a good way. And here's the thing, like I think, and maybe you might not be the best person when it comes to the idea of talking about stereotypes, but you know, when a lot of people will say, hey, don't go to the South because that's where all bad, like that's where bad things happen. And if you're a person of color, that's the last place you want to be. And here's the thing: everyone's experiences and perspectives are different. So, like, kind of like how you talked about how 
you know, maybe, maybe you were just lucky or maybe, you know, your experience will definitely be different from someone else. But do you feel like maybe, especially with people of color, and it's, I know it's such, and it's so weird, and we can cut this off if it doesn't make sense, but do you feel like sometimes people of color, whether that's our skin color or someone else, maybe we can also learn to maybe not stereotype certain parts of the country, if that makes sense. So when someone like looks at like someone who's brown, for example, they might think like, oh, look, they're a threat to society. Do you think people of color like can also learn from like you and knowing that, you know, the South is not as bad as it as we think it is? Sure, there may be some bad parts or like some places you don't want to go to. But to generalize the idea that going to the South is like a bad, like the worst thing you can do. I think it can I think you're like you're you're causing more fear than there needs to be. I don't know if that made sense. I know what you're getting at. Yeah, it's, it's the idea of like, is are things actually as bad as we think they are? And and it's interesting because yes and no, yes and no because if you you know as humans we're, we're patternistic. We we are the ultimate pattern machines. We identify patterns and live our lives based on the patterns that we've identified, which is why. We're able to survive, but it's also the reason why we have negative stereotypes. Um, well, it's also the reason why we have something like that, where if you're a person of color in America and you live in the Midwest or Northeast or wherever else, and you all you see on the news or TikTok or wherever is that if a hate crime happens because of race, it's more often to happen in the South. And of course, you're going to have a defense mechanism, right? Because your brain is identifying a pattern that people who are not white in rural, deep South, like when you see that that happens over and over again, where people are being harmed just simply for being not white, then of course you should have a defense mechanism. You know, of course you should be hesitant about going somewhere. It shouldn't be the first place you want to go. And it, and it might genuinely be a dangerous place for you to be. That said, uh, you know, there is a balance where when, when you're just watching the news, when you're just on TikTok and, or social media, you see the worst of the worst things that happen anywhere at any time and that's an unfortunate downside of social media where uh that is good for the algorithm and it's good for these platforms to keep people on but it's not good for us because all we see are bad things and when all you see are bad things it's again you're we're, we're patternistic so we're going to think that what we're seeing on social media and the news is bad 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 we're going to assume the world is all bad and that's not the truth, right? Like we need to all go touch some grass is, is basically what, what, what it comes down to. But you're right. Like the South isn't, it's not just the South, like America in general is not as bad or as racist as it might seem when all you're doing is watching the news. That's not to say it's not racist. It, there, there are still huge major issues there. Those things are still very, 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 very real. And at the same time, you know, there's so much we can do just by having, coming together and having those very important conversations. There's so much more we can do when we find a common ground together and then go into having the challenging conversations about race and uh, any other kind of hotly contested uh, subjects. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's, I don't, I wouldn't say that's, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say like it is entirely on, you know, black or brown folks that the South has the rap that it does, you know. And that's definitely not it. Uh, so, yeah, it, I, again, all that to say, sure, we have our stereotypes and they're all, all of them, they're all worth reevaluating. But at the same time, some of them exist for a reason. Yeah. And thank you so much for being able to answer that, for answering that question. I know that was a, I know it can be a very tricky topic. 
So I was just thinking like, okay, like how do we make sure that like, cause I like, like, like I said, everyone's experience is, is different, but it's like, sometimes we tend to be more, we tend to put more fear than we need it. So um, again, it's everyone's perspectives, but nevertheless, thank you for um, answering that question. Cause I was also worried, like, what if it would come out wrong? Um, before I let you go, I want to ask you about your future. And obviously we talked, talked about how your book advice from America is coming out in December of 2023. You talked about how you want to still be involved in philanthropy in the future as someone who's very, who's someone who's willing to embrace challenges and go all in on what they're, on what you're passionate about. What are some other things that you want to be able to try and do in your, in the future? I mean, I don't know if climbing Mount Everest is on your list. I definitely could see you doing that. Um, I don't know why, but I just do, but what are some things you hopefully want to do in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not hundred percent sure yet. You know, the book is going to come out later this year. And then after that, it's really going to be a lot of promoting it and talking about it, talking about the journey and basically inspiring others to do uh, the big things that they want to do. Right. That's what, that's what I think 2024 is going to look like for me. Uh, but more, more than that, I think the theme of the book and what I've, you know, it's not even just the book, the photo series at, at all. What I realized after coming back from the journey, after hearing all this advice is that we have a lot more in common with the world around us than we actually think. And that's the message I really want to share in 2024 is promoting that sense of unity uh, at, at a time where it feels like every day we're a little bit more divisive, again, because of social media and the media in general. But I think there's so much work to be done to bring people together. And I'm hoping that I can be a catalyst for that uh, in, in whatever way that looks like. You, so obviously people, you are, you are someone that will ask people, what advice would you tell them? What advice, what do you know now that you wish you knew what you, you wish you knew then? Um, I want to ask you that question. What is something you know, you know, now that you wish you knew previous or you knew in the past? And secondly, and like we talked about how that's such a difficult question. Where do you rank that in terms of the most difficult question, the difficult question someone has asked, someone has asked you? Yeah, it's definitely a challenging question because there's so many different things. Like naturally part of living is having regrets. Like everybody's going to have regrets about something or another. I think for me, when I think about what I wish I could tell a younger version of myself, specifically when I was maybe 18 or 19, I would have really told myself to embrace new experiences and new opportunities without hesitation to say yes to more things and to find a better balance of prioritize between prioritizing school, work, um, you know, the grind and social life. I feel like I always put social life on the back burner. And so I didn't make the closest friends the first couple of years. I had tons and tons of friends, but none of them felt like really, really, really close. And I think that could have been fixed or changed had I had I had somebody say like, hey, you don't have to work as hard as you're working right now. You can actually spend more time going out with friends and just doing nothing, you know, uh, which I didn't do a lot of after my freshman year. And so I, I wish I could tell myself that just to, to have strengthened those friendships, to have uh, really prioritized what's most important in life. And that's spending the time with the people you care about. Um, but yeah, I think if I had said yes to more things or been more open to new ideas, I think I would have been less judgmental. I think I would have blossomed into a person I, I, I am now faster. But again, everything happens the way, everything happened the way it did. And everything that I did and learned or didn't do led me to this moment right now. And so, uh, you know, I, I have no regrets about any of the things that I think went wrong in the past. 
My last question, and this is more of like a question I've been thinking of is probably like my signature question. I don't know. I'm still working on it, but you talked about how failure doesn't exist and for you. And I want to ask you, like, if we ignore, ignore the failure word or ignore that word, if there was another word you wish you could take out of the dictionary because you feel like this word or phrase has like a negative, could be like, a, could have a negative impact on people. What would that be and why? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about that. A word that I would take out of the dictionary or just out of like general use. Hmm. It wouldn't be failure because failure exists for a reason, right? We have goals, we set them. And if we don't meet them, that's failure, right? That's natural. That's a natural part of life. You're going to have goals and aspirations and dreams. And, and if you don't get them, that's failure. I think it's not, it's less about the the word failure and more about the social stigma of it, right? Like we, I think it's been a lot, a lot of, it's been a long time of people saying failure is 100% outright bad. And it's not, it's not black and white like that. Like failure is always a chance to learn and grow. And I would argue that the best learnings in life happen from when you fail first. Um, and yeah, if there was a word that I would have to take out, I mean, I, I have no idea what that would be. I don't think I would take out a single word in the dictionary. I think words actually, I think words add to our ability to communicate to one another. But I, I would, I would say like, to your point, I would take away the stigma of, of something like failure or, or taking away the stigma or the fear of, um, of not achieving what you want to set out to do. You know, the, I think that the reason why people don't do things is a fear of failure or a fear of success. And they're, they, they, that's different. It weighs out differently for different people, but um, I guess I would say that just like anybody who looks at failure as something that is black and white bad, I would, I would encourage you to think about it as an opportunity to learn and grow, you know, whether, whether your dreams happen or not, failures will happen along the way. And it's all part of the process. For sure. I think that's a, that's a great answer. And, you know, if, if there's one thing people can learn about words is that they do have meaning and they can mean sure there, there's like sometimes they can have negative connotations but they also have things where you can they also have good connotations and that it's not as black and white but speaking of words having different meanings advice from america comes out in december of 2023 uh you can obviously pre um, uh, you can pre-order this book at imranuri.com imran i know i've taken a lot of your time i know you are a very busy person but nevertheless thank you so much for joining oh my great goodness um I'm really looking forward to reading the book or yeah, reading the book. Can't wait to see all the amazing things that you did throughout this journey. And I look forward to hopefully reconnecting again in person. Um, I know it's been a long time, but I would definitely love to come back to Chicago because I was in Chicago like a couple of weeks ago. So being able to connect with you again would be really cool. So thank you so much. And I really look forward to seeing all the amazing things you do, not just with this book, but also in the future. Yeah, of course. Thanks again for having me on your podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you guys like what you saw, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at the OMCG Podcast for more information on guests, preview clips, and more. Please continue to support this podcast in the future, and I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.